Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Thomas Che Boateng. Thomas is a strategic finance professional with 15 years of progressive experience in financial leadership roles at some of the world's biggest organizations, including Capital One Financial Corporation, PricewaterhouseCoopers, or PwC Corporate Finance, and more recently, the College Board, where he was Senior Director of Strategic Finance. With a strong background across the spectrum of finance, including strategic planning, M&A, and investments, Thomas is looking to better align ISACA's finances with its strategic vision and invest in areas that position ISACA for accelerated growth. Thomas received his MBA from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, Sloan School of Management, and obtained his Bachelor of Science in Business Administration with first-class honors from the University of Ghana. Thomas, thank you so much for being on today's episode. You're welcome, Megan, and thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for your patience while we try to schedule this. I know we've been going back and forth about this for the last four to five months. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's been a long time in the making. That's right, a long time in the making, and <laughs> during which time I've had a baby boy and who is now four months old, so... A uh, big change, but nonetheless, I'm really glad to be here. Absolutely. And and we'll get into that a little bit later. I'd like to know how you're balancing life with work. But um, well, for the most part, today, we're going to be discussing your career journey and, and the insights that you've managed to gather along the way, specifically regarding the role of a CFO, which I believe you're in your first role as a CFO. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing your story and learning from you. So... <clears throat> Let's get started. Absolutely. Let's start with you and your story. If you could kind of fill us in on on how it is you got to where you are today. Oh yeah, it's, no. Thank you for that. It's it, it's been an interesting journey, a very thoroughly rewarding journey, but interesting and delightful. I've been in finance all of my career, uh, sixteen years of, of finance experience, and working across various finance positions in various organizations, organizational type. So I, I, I've been a banker, I've been a, a consultant, transaction advisory uh, consultant. I've worked in corporate development, corporate finance slash FPNA, and now I'm a CFO. I, I started my career in my native Ghana. I was born and raised in Ghana, if you guess where the accent is from, um, where, where I grew up and went to college and Right out of college, I was very fortunate to get hired by what at the time was a small you know, bank. It was like a boutique investment bank. Now it's no, no more small. It's it's a large, you know, multi-business, multi-line bank, as most banks eventually became. But at the time I was hired, um, now 16 years ago, it was, a, it was an investment bank. And I, I joined the investment banking team uh, at the time. And it was a big, you know, it was a bit fortuitous, but also a big career break for me because I was the only analyst hired that year. You know, as a 22-year-old fresh out of college, you you have an idea what you want to do, but you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. So, uh, and that's why I feel it was very, very fortunate for me that I fell into into the hands of these bankers who were very bright, very ambitious, but also very caring 
about the new guy who is joined. So they, they, they taught me a lot, mentored me and, you know, guided me on in the classic, you know, bank, do three years of banking analyst and go get your MBA journey. So that's what I did. And I, I, I did two and a half years then. I got the opportunity to come to the U.S. for my MBA. So I landed in Boston, Logan Airport and started my MBA at MIT. Um, did that for two years and um, uh, great, great, great experience. Got the opportunity to you know, get acquainted with this American life, get acquainted with people from all over the world, very smart people doing incredible things and, and learned a lot from them. So after that, I, I joined a, a bank um, out of business school and I, I did, you know, various roles there, mostly as a corporate development person, internal M&A work. So at the time, this bank was really coming out of the financial crisis and one of the very few banks that was doing well, post-financial crisis, 2008 financial crisis. So they had cash on the balance sheet and with, you know, assets heavily discounted, they were just, you know, scooping up assets left, right and center. So I was heavily involved in that, helping the, the, the bank grow its its size, its presence around the country. Uh, and... Um, and then I got an opportunity to leave to do consulting. I, I, I'll, I, I'll talk about it later on uh, when we get into some of these questions you have about career break. But I got the opportunity to join PwC uh, in its transaction advisory services um, covering uh, West Anglophone, West Africa. So helping, you know, large corporates in, in the U.S. and in Europe and private equity clients who are looking for assets in, in that part of the world and also are looking to exit their investment in those parts of the world and, and helping them through those transactions. And that was great. That was phenomenal. Learned a lot. And, you know, along the lines, got married. You know, I realized I was growing and, and it, was, it was a lot of long nights and different time zones and lots of air miles. So I decided, look, I, with, 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 with a child now and with a wife in New York, I, I just couldn't be doing all of that international travel. So I decided to uh, find a job locally and, and, and joined um, the college board, which is known as the company that does the, you know, advanced placement SAT exams, but which I found to be a huge, very diverse organization uh, as the senior director of strategic finance, working directly under the CFO, um, who mentored me in many, many aspects of corporate finance, you know, board presentations, you know, the, the strategic element of finance. And, and that's how I got the opportunity to be in this role. Uh, my current CEO, David Samuelson, got into, into his job as CEO of ISACA about three years ago now and was looking to make a change in the finance leadership to bring in somebody with my kind of experience, my kind of strategic lens to look at the finance function. And so he brought me in 2001. So it's been it's been a it's been a varied uh, journey along along you know becoming a CFO. But I've loved every moment of it. Had the highs, the lows, you know, uh, the late nights, 
the long miles, you know, yeah. all of it. <laughs> it's, it. It's been fun. It's been fun and it's been very rewarding. So were you traveling back and forth to Africa every week? Or oh, yeah, all? yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, back and forth and, and across Africa, Nigeria, South Africa, Ghana, Liberia, did a ton of African countries, I think. Uh, before I left, I counted the 11. Um, and, and, and that was fun. Yeah, but it does get old. I understand that. <laughs> Absolutely does get old. <laughs> Absolutely does get old. And, uh, uh, and you know, it, 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 it was, I must, I must admit, it was today probably the best job I had. Um, I was going to ask uh, if you had a favorite. Yeah, you know, totally. It's today is the best job I had, uh, primarily uh, because of because of uh, who I worked for. You know, I uh, and we talk about turning points in careers, and and for me, the biggest turning point in my career is actually a person because my boss at PwC, Andre Yugorov, uh, remarkable leader. Uh, uh, in 2014. Uh, when I moved from this bank, I was working out in Virginia. I, I was frustrated. I, I was working in what I considered to be a dead-end job. I, you know, everybody has one of those jobs, you know, along their career paths, right? Yeah. It's, I hated the place. I hated the people. I'm sure a lot of the people also hated me. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't the most... Uh, desirable work environment, if I call it that way. And and fortunately for me, you know, it wasn't great. It was an unfortunate situation, but fortunately for me, it happened in my late 20s, early 30s. So I could, you know, get out of it and recover from it. So I was looking to move and I, I got a call from Andre, who was at the time, like I said, was looking to build POVC corporate finances business in Anglophone West Africa. And um and Andres, it's truly a remarkable leader. Um you know, I always say, if you look at Andre and you look at me, you couldn't, you know, pick two very different people, you know, just looking at us, right? Andre is maybe six feet two, six feet three, slender white American guy. <laughs> and I'm a five foot eight muscular African guy. But together we were like a tremendous team and and we were alike in more ways than we were different. And uh, we worked you know, long nights, late nights. I I always tell people the story of how Andre would email me at 2 a.m., you know, with a comment about the deck. And I would reply, do you want to talk? And at 2.05, we'd be on the phone. You know, <laughs> at 2.05 a.m. Because we got each other like that. We we understood our working styles. We were totally aligned. And, and, and so we, you know, we went through, Multiple companies, we saw hundreds and hundreds of businesses, hundreds and hundreds of income statement, balance sheet, cash flow statements. Uh, and although it was a lot of work, like I've said before, uh, late nights, different time zones, but it was also truly formative. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's like, you know, it's like putting a rod, you know, through fire and, you know, you know banging on it and forming it into the shape that you want to form it. It was, it was transformational. Yeah, sounds so, like it was fun. It was fun, uh, but more, more, more importantly, for for what I became, it it, it was also a great learning curve. I, I I felt that after those five years, uh, PwC, especially with Andre, no number could get past me <laughs> without me knowing exactly what that number represented. 
for the business, for shareholders, for board members. And, and, and that's really stayed with me. Well, it sounds like you've had an amazing career to date. So let's talk about your current organization. Is it, do I say ISACA? Or it's ISACA. ISACA, ISACA. ISACA we okay. pronounce it. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. What do you want to know? Tell me. Yeah, just uh, well, what is it that they do? Yeah, sure. Uh, ISACA is a technology association uh, for professionals working in what I'll call the digital trust domain. By that, I mean the guys that are making sure that the internet is safe, you know, that our digital ecosystem is safe. So um, hard to do these days. And yeah, getting exactly. Harder yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it, it is a professional membership association of 170,000 people in right now over 180 countries. So it's really large in membership and in large in, 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 in presence and, and, and scope. So the members span the spectrum of, of you know, cybersecurity, data privacy, information assurance, and risk. And what ISACA does is we do offer training in, in these areas. We offer frameworks and content development for our member base. We offer certification and we offer what we call enterprise assessment. So certification, you may see a lot of IT professionals with you know, certifications like CISA, what we call the CISA at the end of their names, CISA, CISM, C-RISC, all of those are uh, Isaac Max and and we train people and certify them in 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 these areas. And then we also actually do what we call what I like to call implementation our enterprise assessment product. So if you are um, pick a name, if you are not from Groman or if you are um, a Boeing and you need you know some guys to come in and assess your IT maturity and IT security and and benchmark you against where you want to be, we, we do have uh, a line of business that does that and, and help organizations become uh, more secure technologically and, and, and more mature technologically. Okay, so will they not only assess, but also recommend? Yep, guidance is, 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 the, is, is the watchword here. It's, uh, it's to provide guidance. And you've been there now for just over a year. That's right, yeah. I joined a little over a year ago now. So... What have been your proudest achievements to date and what what are you hoping to achieve in the next couple of years, let's say? Great question about proudest achievement to date is just surviving. <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it, it, uh, it, it was like drinking from the proverbial fire hose. But, you know, like I always say, the key word when drinking from the fire hose is to keep drinking and not suffocate, right? So <laughs> so I took in as much as I can, you know, build alliances, uh, learn quickly on the job and adapted to the organization. It's, it's a very unique organization. It's it's a member-based organization, very mission-focused Um, um a lot of the people that work there and and all our members really want to see the world safe and secure. They want to make sure that this conversation is secure, that your emails between you and I are secure, and information that you are sharing with you know all the websites you buy from uh, is it, it, secure and it's used for the intended purposes. So it requires a very 
passionate, dedicated group of people. And so it makes it, the organization very unique and, and, and quite different from other places I had worked. So I really had to get acquainted and, and get to know the organization. And I, I can read financial statements, obviously. I can I can read balance sheets and, and make recommendations, but really understanding the meaning, the, the, the soul and the heart of the organization and making sure that decisions that I'm making is geared towards serving that purpose. It, it's been a really proud journey for me. How How is it that you immersed yourself? Like, how did you get familiar with the operations and the business in your first few months of being there? A couple of ways. It's to say, listen, I, you know, I, I, I always say that the answer always lies with people. So uh, I was fortunate to have to inherit a finance team with significant experience on that. And um, I listened to them. I listened to to the people I had met and and all the the good, the bad and the ugly. I, I noted down and I, I, I encourage transparency and openness with me. Just share with me why certain things have worked over the years. I remember my favorite question to my team was, what shouldn't I touch? If, if I make all the changes here I want to make, what is the one thing you want me to leave us? Right? So uh, being very honest and being open and listening uh, is, is, is one way I did it. And the other way is also getting out of my comfort zone and, and having difficult conversations with my peers and, and people outside the finance organization. Um, so building strong alliances with the CMO, the CTO, CEO, other C-suite executives, the head of sales and, and head of product, and making sure that I truly understood the situation that I, I had walked into. And you've been working to advance the alignment of ISACA's finances with its strategic vision. So what, what does that process look like? It's still an ongoing process, so an ongoing journey. Um, like, like I said, I, I, two things. I, I really do believe that finance and strategy should be closely aligned. Um, the way I put it is um, finance should make sure that resources are going to strategic priorities. And, and, and strategies should make sure that um, plans and, and initiatives reflect our financial realities. So uh, it's building, it's been building that sort of close collaboration with the business. So one of the things I did was make sure that we, we revamped and, and, and improved our, what, what used to be our FBNA team to make sure that we had more people with, with the right skills to partner with the business. Um, because at the end of the day, if you're only waiting for close and to publish results, that might be too late for you to know where we are going strategically. You, you have to sit in, in business meetings. You have to sit in, in leadership meetings. You have to hear the conversations to make sure that um, you are making recommendations that drive the organization towards what it's committed to its members, to its directors to go where it's committed that it's going to go. You make sure that the resources are directed to those initiatives and those activities. And speaking of resources, so another part of your role is um, investing in areas that position ISACA for accelerated growth. So what is your approach to determining which areas to invest in? Yes. Um, you know, I, I, companies go out and do higher what 
what they call value creation teams, especially when I was in consulting. I I, I did a lot of that work, you know, deal strategy and and, and value creation. They they'll go out and hire PWC or a BCG, or they'll bring in somebody from one of those organizations. Um to sit in the business and so this guy is going to drive value creation and he's going to make sure that we are growing top line and bottom line. And every time I see that announcement, I'm like, well, that is the CFO's job. That is the finance financing job. And I truly believe that because the finance department, more than any other department, sees the numbers, right? And and we see through the numbers what is going on in the organization. Um uh, like I, I like to say, everything that is done in the organization will be reflected in a number one way or the other. So it, I've been empowering my team to actually become partners and advisors to the rest of the business to become the, 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 the in-house PWC, the in-house PCG, or the in-house McKinsey, you know, offering not just reporting and 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 various analysis and other you know, bread and butter of finance department, but also, you know, strategic insights and operational improvement and technical accounting services to the department, to the executive leadership team, to the board of directors. Um, for example, I, I one of the things I'm doing now is, you know, scaling up our enterprise risk management team. And, and my director of enterprise risk management, when I was hiring him, I told him, look, you you think of yourself as a thought leader in this organization. You are the expert here. Help me, help the board, help you know the departments become better at this. And and you cannot do that if you're only reporting the risk is high, the risk is low, the risk is medium. You have to work with us closely to address why it's high, why it's low, why it's medium, and, and lead us on a journey to where it's supposed to be. So that 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 is the way I, I see it. It's it's really empowering the finance department to be the best partners that we can be to the rest of the business, offering insight and 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 improvement in in all aspects of the business. I think that's the fun part of accounting and finance is is being able to partner with the business and think strategically. No, totally. I, you know, I another example that I I always give is, you know, I'm a, I'm a big sports fan and I say, okay, you know, the financial statements are a scoreboard, right? And, and you know, we are, we are in NBA finals and you see the score and you saw Boston Celtics 116, Golden State Warriors 100. Okay, that's a score. But the score, well, tells only the score. It tells one data point about the game, right? And as finance people, we do watch the game. Right. So so it's it's up to us to give, you know, more more insight about the game than just the scoreboard. Right. To say, OK, hey, these are the KPIs and, and this is how the KPIs compared to previous years or to to our peers in the marketplace or to or to what we put in the budget or where we want to be. And these are the reasons why, just like any sports analyst would do on a Monday morning after a game. Right. It's like. This is why they, they missed, you know, 50% of their three-point three shot. This is why they are not shooting as well as they do typically do for their free throws. And that's what I want my team to do, to, to, to partner with the business and say, hey, this is why this business line is not growing. This is why this product is, is, is stalling. And hey, by the way, um, the industry is changing. These guys are doing A, B, and C. Why aren't we doing it? 
it's it's so empowering the team to do these things. It's it's mission critical for me. Yeah, I like that analogy. Um, so speaking of scaling up teams, how how are you dealing with the current talent shortage that exists in the United States right now? Oh, it's been a nightmare. <laughs> it's, been a, <laughs> it's been a nightmare. It's, I thought it couldn't get worse and it kept getting worse. And so for us, the biggest breakthrough has been the recruitment of a truly talented VP of people and culture. And she has helped us on a journey to remove some of our own internal roadblocks, right, um, to hiring and also to retention because it's, it's it's, it's dual stream, right? It, people are going to hire, looking to hire your best people and you are struggling to hire people. So mm-hmm. attrition is up and, and hiring rates is low down. And, and so a new VP of people and culture came in and said, okay, you cannot really affect the macro environment too much, right? The great resignation is real um, and you cannot change the systemic factors by that much, if at all. So let's work on ourselves. Let's look at our processes. Let's look at our people. Let's look to make changes to remove internal roadblocks to hiring. And let's look to incentivize people to stay. And, and that's been really transformational. We, 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 we've, we've put in place you know, retention packages. We, we've been on a listening tour. We've identified what we call uh, critical paths or single path, uh, points of failure and make sure that um, we have bench strength or we, we're keeping these people happy. And then we've expanded our recruitment team you know, to just get more hours and more people to add, to add talent. Yeah, she sounds like a game changer. So you're currently in your first CFO role. What advice would you offer for other people who are maybe considering a path to CFO or maybe on the edge of becoming a CFO? You know, I think it was the Greek philosopher Epictetus said something along the lines of first say to yourself what you will be, then do what you have to do to be it. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 I my advice would be along those lines is you have to become a CFO before you are made one. Um and, and find out what CFOs do and start doing those things, even if you are not. And level below the CFO to levels below the CFO because you know what it will shine through. Uh, ask yourself what would the CFO like to know and go out there and offer it to her. Um, uh, and and that's the way I've already always approached my my roles even before I became CFO. It's like I'm I am operating with empathy for for my leader. I'm trying to uh, you know understand what their goal, what their vision, what their mission is, what is important to them. And I'm offering that service to them. And and in doing that, well, you you do get a good career progression, but you prepare yourself to become the boss. You prepare yourself to become the CFO or a partner if you are in a consultant firm or or an accounting firm, right? And and, and that's, that's, for me, the biggest advice. I remember in my previous job before this one, I, in one of my performance reviews, my boss, the CFO said, you know, one of the things I like about you the most is if I ask for A, you come back with A, B, C, and D, you know, and and that's because I, I was showing empathy for her. I was thinking for her. I, I, I was telling myself if she's asked for A, that she probably needs B and O, she would also need C and then D. So why wait to be asked? (laughs) 
I I put myself in a shoe. Like, look, if I'm going for that board meeting, uh, what would directors want to know? So, yeah, I mean, she's asked for trends for the last five years, but okay, the directors don't want to see just the trends. There's probably a follow-on question. So let me try to anticipate that follow-up question and try to provide as much information that will make her job easier. So really performing at the CFO level before you become a CFO is will be the biggest advice I'll give to anybody that wants to be on this journey. Yeah, that's great advice. And it, works, it works for other roles too. It's not just yeah. a CFO role. Yeah, it works for Any other role. role. Yeah. Perform the role that you want to be promoted to or figure out what, right, that's what, right. yeah, what, what is required of that role and start doing it. That's right. And you, and, you, and you get yourself ready, you know, in the process. You and, and when the time comes, you're ready to step up and you're not daunted. So do you have any aspiration to be a CEO someday? Not right now. I've thought of it. I um, I really want to be a very successful CFO. I I always talk to my CEO and I say, you know what? I want to be on a CFO ranking. I want I want to see my name in in, in the papers to say, okay, you know, best CFOs list, and you see Thomas there. So for me, that's that's my biggest obsession now is to become the absolute best CFO I, I could be um, uh, over the next three to five years, and then. We will see if if that's the journey I want to be on. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're well on your way. But um, as you look out, let's say the next six months to a year, and maybe you touched on this a bit with the, the staffing issues, but what are your biggest challenges this year in 2022? Yeah, so I'll I'll talk about the external factor, uh, which is definitely the the talent related challenges. It's it, it's recruitment, but like I also said, it's also been retention and and in motivation and promotion. It's it's all tied together. So um, in, in our risk assessment in in our organization, we call it talent related risk. That that is the biggest headache uh, I've had to deal with in the last two quarters. And, and even before that, and I, I see that continuing for at least at the final two quarters of the year. Um, but that's the macro factor. Uh, internally uh, is the biggest challenge for me and my team will be prioritization. Um, Isaac is going through a lot of transformation. I may not have mentioned it, but Isaac is 50 plus years old. And it started as originally like a technology association. It still is an association at heart. But right now, about 75% of our revenue comes from what I call products and services, not the association membership dues, right? So, so in, many, in, in many ways, it's, it's becoming... It, it's becoming a high-performing organization like any other. And with that, you can operate the same way you operated in the last 50 years, right? So all of a sudden, we've had to go through digital transformation, you know, replacing our sub-ledger. We're going to replace the, the main ledger system, um, <clears throat> onboarding highly talented people, you know, changing our reporting structure, changing our, you know, board committee structure to reflect the organization that we are today. And it's a lot. It's a lot of work for my team. It's a lot of work for me. And and, and sometimes we do struggle with you know, what comes first, what's important. And so for me, for the rest of the year, it's, it's, you know, to really guide my team and myself to actually get this prioritization right so that we deliver uh, on our commitments to our members and to our board. 
And lastly, what advice do you have for CFOs looking to drive strategic value, grow revenue and margin, particularly in this inflationary environment? Yeah, it's um, it's not, you know, it's not one solution. It, it really becomes organization specific, but you have to lead with first principles. The first principles that what are the things that do not change? The things that do not change are, you know, customers will always buy for value. So you have to, you know, create a value. Um, and two, um, economics are real. Inflation is real, so you cannot ignore the macro factor. Um, there, there are a lot of there's a lot of change, even a lot of uncertainty in, in the macro environment right now. Uh, interest rates are going up, but you know there is still uh, there is still low inventory in the mortgage in the in the real estate market. So we don't know where the housing market is going to land. Um, we talked about talent. Uh, hiring is still a challenge, but at the same time, uh, we're seeing some layoffs and, and hiring freezes. So I would say for any and every CFO that's looking to drive value, economics are real. And you have to really um, look at your the economics of the business you are in and be realistic about it. Um, if if you don't have a long runway, you need to strengthen lengthen that runway by, you know, making cuts to... Um, to non-essential services, if you do have cash on the balance sheet, um, you have to be on the lookout for opportunities as they fall by. So it's really paying attention to the macro environment and, and, and embracing the realities of economics, this is what I would say. Yeah, I guess it uh, goes back to your comment about pri- prioritizing limited resources. That's right. It's uh it, it, it's always it's always uh, elementary economics, right? It's 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 the resources are always limited compared to the to the options on the table, and uh, and it's part of a good CFO's job to look at all the options versus the inevitably limited resources and say this is the two three things that will create the most value. And talking about two to three things, another recommendation would be not to stretch yourself to think. Um, I, I, I do believe that as CFOs, we all understand the value of compounding. And I like to add that you, you create value from compounding, but also compounding what's good, right? So, yeah. so if, if something is returning 3%, yeah, you can compound it, you can invest in it, but you know, you you probably have better of doubling down on on the two or three things that are returning 15, 20, 25 percent. And I know it's not always easy because you know, um, there are always competing priorities you know, from from teams, for resources, from board members, for the various different things that each member cares about, from CEOs, for pet projects. It's it's a lot. So, but we, we just have to embrace the realities of economics. And like I said, you you benefit from compounding and compounding what's good. Thomas, thank you so much for being my guest today. Well, oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking and uh, you're doing such a fantastic job. I, I really, really relish the opportunity to, to be on the show. And uh, I look forward to continuing to monitor how others are, you know, sharing the ideas on your platform. Yeah, thank you for that. And I really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing about your experiences. Sounds like you're doing amazing things. I wish you all the best and good luck 
with your four-month-old son? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, he's uh, talking about prioritization. He takes up a lot of time. Yes, I, I hope you get some sleep. <laughs> and to all of our listeners, please tune in next week. And until then, take care. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personif. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personif can do for you by visiting personif.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personif. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personif.com. Thanks for listening.